Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. This episode is brought to you by AFCO. Family owned and operated, AFCO fishing apparel and tackle are designed to handle the harshest elements and help you weather any day on the water. From cold tournament mornings to the humid summers in Florida, our products are built to handle the extreme. We are proud to hear customer stories about the 20-plus year life cycle of the AFCO products. Visit AFCO.com. That's A-F-T-C-O.com for on-the-water performance gear. And also brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. If you own a pond or a lake anywhere in the Southeast, Southeastern Pond Management can evaluate the health of your pond and then work with you individually to put together the right plan to get what you want out of your body of water. Through electrofishing, liming, fertilizing, and weed control, Southeastern Pond Management is the one-stop shop to help you produce more healthy trophy fish than ever before and if you're interested in building a new pond or lake give these guys a call to help evaluate your land and design the best possible body of water for you if you're anywhere in the southeast schedule an obligation free consulting with one of their biologists by calling 1-888-830-POND or check them out on sepond.com what's up guys and welcome to the alabama freshwater fishing report Hope all you guys are having a great week. It's still hot. It ain't been quite quite as hot temperature-wise, but the humidity's been pretty brutal for sure, man. You can't go out there without breaking a good sweat in a, in a very short period of time. But had a little rain around the state this week. I know that's uh, it's good to see that. Uh, we need more. We need uh, for the fishing, for the for everything else, but we need some current in some of these lakes to, to, to kick things up. But, um, people are catching fish. I mean, you, you know, we, we had a report last week, if y'all didn't hear it, where, you know, down in you fall, this is about as good as it can get right now. And, and then you got some lakes that are struggling and, uh, that they really need that current, uh, to, and they need that rainfall and current to, to get those fish, lined up where they're where they're where they're good and catchable but uh man i'm excited about this week's show we have a incredible show lined up for y'all and for our first segment it's one uh we've been trying to put this together for a few weeks now and i am so glad to, to finally get this guy on and man we talk about bass on here we talk about crappie we talk about these giant stripes on here but i've been dying to talk about giant catfish and my man, J.R. Hall on the Tennessee River, this guy knows giant catfish. J.R., welcome to the show, brother. Glad to be a part of it. Heck yeah, man. Hey, we've been, me and you've been communicating back and forth for a couple of weeks and, and trying to get a timeline, our times lined out and where they worked. And, and man, I'm so excited that they did today. I'm looking forward to this. Yes, sir. So, you know, when we talk about catfishing, I mean, man, I grew up throwing jugs out on the uh, Black Warrior and Tom Bibby River and uh, maybe doing a little tight line in below the lock and dam. But catfishing, it's evolved a lot in the last several years. And, and man, let's, let's talk about that, how, how, how catfishing has changed and, and, uh, and how it's changed. Yes, sir. It is, uh, this sport has really taken off. I've been a part of catfishing, probably been catfishing solely for 
coming up on 20 years now and got addicted to it from a, actually a saltwater fishing trip years and years ago, caught a big shark and it was, you know, fun, exciting, right, reel in a big fish. Problem is I lived six hours from the ocean. The only thing I could find similar to catching like that was catfishing. And, uh, I can remember my first 55, 60 pound fish I caught and I've been hooked ever since. And I, to me, there's nothing quite like it. I've, I've come taken people out that have bass fished their whole life or crappie fish and converted them where they sold everything they had and are out there chasing giant fish with us now. That's, that's awesome. And crazy, the, the techniques that we used 15, 20 years ago, I hardly ever do anymore and do other things and become pretty successful. You know, running, I'm on my third year as a, as a guide and got all the work I want to do and then some. And making customers happy is always my number one and been able to, fortunate to do just that. A lot of repeat customers, a lot of new ones every year, just it's, it's crazy what the catfishing world has turned into now. Man, what do you what do you attribute that to? Is it just the new techniques that have changed the sport, or or is it the electronics that have changed the sport? I'm for, I'm very blessed to live where I do. I'm right on the Tennessee River, fishing you know mainly Wheeler, Wilson, and Gunnersville Lake, which is to me probably one of the top five catfisheries in the country. I'm probably a little prejudiced to it uh, because I live here. And I, you know, but I can go 20 minutes from the house and be on places I've caught 50 to 60 pound fish. I think they've been here the entire time. I think a little bit of social media and I, I'm, I'm guilty. I'll look at YouTube, watch how people are catching fish years ago. And it's like, man, I want to do that. And it's just taken off and blown up and it add our little fine tunes and techniques to already new technique that was new to us. And it just found a lot of success. Uh, like I said, it's crazy. If you would have asked me, you know, even short as eight years or five years ago, stuff I'm doing now to stay successful, I would have told you there's no way it will work. And I've been able to run a business, you know, coming up on two years alone. And it's just people keep coming back for more and more. Well, we're so we're so blessed to live in a state like Alabama that everybody knows Alabama as being just an incredible bass fishing state. We've got so much water and so many good fisheries. And then the crappie fishing kind of goes along with that. And then you look and you've got these, you've got a couple lakes with these giant stripes in it where you can go out and catch these giant stripes. And man, I, I think a lot of times the catfishing up until recently has gets overlooked a little bit maybe, but how cool is it that we live where we do you know, you can go bass fishing or crappie fishing or brim fishing, or you can go out and catch a 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 pound catfish. It's really cool. All in the yeah, same day, can, right? You can do it all, all in the same day on the same body of water, uh, depending on time of year. It's crazy. You know, I think part of what helps us here is we have really good regulations compared to other places in the state as far as allowing these fish to grow to a, a what we consider a trophy size. It there's a lot of a lot of pressure more on the lakes than there ever has been, but due to regulations that we have had in place, man, it it allows our fish to really put on some size and allow them to reach a you know a mature age. And uh, it's just like I said, we're super blessed to live here. What are the regulations up you know, on the Tennessee River? On the Tennessee River, what saves it compared to other states? You can only harvest one catfish. And when I mean harvest, actually, you know. It, 
it's one per person over 34 inches, which is typically your 25 pound and up size fish. There's also no transport of live catfish over 34 inches across state lines, which you wouldn't think that would help a lot, but there's there's other places in the country, especially in the Midwest, uh, Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, where they run like pay lakes and commercial fishermen come in and they've put a hurting on like the Ohio River for is a good example where Ohio used to be probably better than the Tennessee River as far as numbers and size is where people go up there now and a good day up there on Ohio if you catch one over 30. Alabama passed laws years ago that outlawed you know, any kind of live harvest. So the commercial fishermen, I think there's still some pressure from them coming down here and getting it, but not not on the scale like there is up in the Ohio and Mississippi, Missouri River and stuff. Which Alabama did a, a really good job passing that law. And like I said, it saves our big fish from being hauled off to pay lakes and stuff like that. And it could always be better law-wise, but we're we're blessed to have what we have right now. The thing is, man, and, and, you know, it takes a, for these fish to get what you're talking about, what trophy size, it takes a long time for a fish to get that big. So when you remove one of those fish. It doesn't get replaced easy. No. That's for sure. It doesn't get replaced easy. We, you know, we, not a biologist by any means. I've worked with a few biologists talking about it and, you know, we kind of, the rough idea on like a, a single 50 pound catfish is roughly between 15 and 20 years old, depending on its diet, where it's living, you know, if, if it can feast all the time or is it, you got to have genetics, just like your big deer. Not every deer is going to grow up and be this, you know, 150, 160 inch deer. Some of them just don't get that big, but the only way they get big is by age. And, uh, you know, like I said, we caught one the other day that we kind of, I've talked to a few friends and biologists about, and they were kind of guessing 30 to 35 year old fish. Like I said, it was pushing, you know, 88 pounds post spawn. So we're talking almost 100 pre spawn. Mm. And those fish are protected. I mean, it, anybody could go out there and catch one a day and, and harvest it, you know, to eat and such. But being it's the law is what it is, it keeps, it keeps, uh, we have so many that it, it allows even. Even though a couple, several big fish get harvested every year, we have enough that are still growing. And we just have the Tennessee River, which is just abundant of all kinds of fish. So the, the catfish are always feeding on something. I've seen them. I, we had a tournament not long ago that we're at the weigh-in. It had coughed up three, uh, two 50-pounders had coughed up coots in the live well. I mean, <laughs> I would have never guessed that a duck would have floated up, but they had eaten three of them. Had eaten and ducks? I was like, all right. Had three coots in the live well. It coughed up, and I was like, "I wouldn't have bet on that." I've seen them. I've several times a year. We'll we'll reel in catfish, bring them in. They'll have a tail of a catfish sticking out where they've eaten a channel cat or yeah. a small blue, and they're not really prejudiced. They uh they they if they can fit it in their mouth, they'll eat it. Another good thing is the you know we have like on when you get to Ohio and Mississippi and stuff, they have like the Asian carp, and we're you know, we're on Tennessee River. They are in Pickwick. I've heard stories that occasionally see them up here. Well, luckily, we these laws we have protect these big fish. And that is, a, I mean, catfish will eat a carp in just a second, you know. And it's good that we have these fish. It's going to be about the only way you can keep them things in, in check naturally without, you know, gill nets yeah. and bow fish and stuff. I mean, they're an apex predator on the river. The, the catfish about as 
the number one eater of anything out there. On your guide trips, do do most the do most people want to keep a fish that they catch, or do y'all? I, I know you know, uh, and, and and me being a noodler. You know, I mean, we noodle fish all, you know, in this time of year or, yeah. or up to a few weeks ago, we never keep a fish. I mean, in, unless there's some injury or something that has occurred during it, which is very rare. And people ask me all the time, well, why don't you keep them? And I'm like, man, right. do you know how long it took <laughs> this fish to get this old, this big? Uh, we, no, we. There's four of us that guide up here regularly uh we're all licensed captain by the coast guard we've all been to sea school and inspected by the coast guard and we strive and kind of tell everybody you know it's it's not my favorite trips are taking people that's never done it before they just see pictures and like i want to catch a big one and we take them out and we catch a couple big fish and show them you know conservation wise of returning these big fish in the river if you want to keep something keep a couple small ones they'll feed you just fine you know five ten pounders eat as good if not better than one fifty pounder and you allow that you know i think uh if you ask any trophy hunting cat fisherman his goal is to always break 100 pounds i, I know that's mine and many other people's goal is always to break 100 pounds well it's hard to do it when you know if we were to go out and and kill every legal fish that we could well it would it's hard to justify doing it when you're conservation minded trying to grow trophy sized fish well jr i can promise you my goal as a noodler is to never catch one hundred pounds because that tear my <laughs> arm slap off. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't I'm want a, no part of that. I, years ago, I caught one that was one hundred and two. I had three last year over ninety. Like I said, I had another one that was pushing a hundred. Uh, every year, I think ninety nine two is what we come up with. Every year, we we catch. I would say a dozen to a dozen and a half fish that are seventy plus pounds. And it, it's almost nowhere else in the country or nowhere, you know, within two or three hour drive that you could ever do that anywhere else. Oh, no. uh, and like I said, it's, the laws, the conservation laws they do have in place help tremendously and just a, a very good fishery. It, it's we're blessed and, and hopefully can continue on what we're doing. We've we've actually started a tagging system. We found a nonprofit organization to be a part of and we've tagged. Thanksgiving time of the 2021 to now, we've tagged close to 300 fish that are anywhere from 30 to 100 pounds. And we have recaptured probably going on about 18 of them that we've, out of that many we've tagged, we've recaptured 18 so far, which is kind of neat to see traveling. How far do they travel? I caught one of them that was within 18 hours of when I caught it the first time. And it was about 400 yards from where I caught it the first time. That was pretty neat. Had another one that was up to three months later same treetop but three months apart from when it was caught the first time to now we're learning travel more than anything five six years from now we'll be able to tell like how much weight are these fish putting on you know some of these bigger fish when we caught them when they're 60 70 pounds are they are they breaking 80 yet or are they still in the same ballpark five years from that we don't know and it's really neat every time we catch a tag fish trying to figure out which one it was where it come from you know, what was the weight and measurements? Because we take every every bit of data that we can get on it and file it on our uh, tagging system. And it's really neat. That's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. And tagging fish, you know, we our customers are allowed to name the fish. I've had 
a family or a couple that came named them after their kids and that was actually one of the fish i caught recapturing was able to, hey that, that fish we caught we tagged well we caught them again you know it it was really neat you know everybody kind of gets a little certificate from for recapture and then we get to do kind of the science on it well how far did he go what was the conditions what were we doing something different was he caught the same way he was the first time it, it's really neat and that's going to be so, some really, like you said, over the next five years, that's going to be some really interesting feedback because, you know, we've, oh, yeah. we've done this on bass for so long. I mean, we, we, we've got lots and lots of, of that type data on other types of fish, but, uh, but not so much on the catfish. So, you know, we, we all right. kind of guess, uh, what, you know, we can guess on growth rates and things like that, but that's all it is is a guess. So this, um. Uh, yeah, and and you wonder, you know, once a once a fish gets to be fifty pounds, I mean, how much is he actually putting on a year to get him to eighty pounds and that kind of stuff? Right, you know? Or is he staying the same? You know, just like right. genetics of big deer, some of them never get big; they just get old. And, they just get you old. Know, fish are same way. Yeah, we tagged that eighty-eight I caught the other day. I hope, and I don't have to catch it. I, I hope anybody catches it, but I hope someone catches it in like December and tells me it's over a hundred pounds. And I'd be like, all right, so post-spawn, it lost around 12, 15 pounds, you know, and can kind of get the science on that part and how far, cause I know where I released it at, how far was it caught from there? You know, it's, it's really neat stuff. I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully eventually she's caught again and we can just see what it turned into. Yeah, absolutely. That's very, that's, that's really cool. Well, let's talk about how you're catching them. That's the, that's the part, you know, that, that intrigues me is, is how you're targeting these fish and, and the different, I mean, it ain't just going out and throwing out a, a liver and tight line and then like it used to be. Right. You know, 10, even up to 10 years ago, I, my, you know, when my daddy was alive and we were fishing, it was always, we fished the same, like three spots. It seemed like it was the deepest part of the river and you sat there all day and either they were biting or they weren't. When I got into a little bit of tournament, fishing i started realizing i i could never win one and i was like man how are these guys beating us like and then i got paying attention and uh one of the new techniques and it's not i'd say it's probably it, i've been familiar with it for about going on five years now it's what they call dragon baits and the first person I ever showed it to me was uh captain josh brown with backwoods catfishing guide service and he's like man i'm telling you this is a this is a real deal. And I was like, dude, we're trolling for catfish. There's no way this is going to work. Catfish don't chase bait. They, no, right. You got to be sitting still. It's just what I, you know, it's what my daddy taught me. So I didn't know it was right or wrong. We went out and I, in fact, that memory on Facebook just popped up probably two days ago. And we went in about six hours, we caught probably 15 fish. And I had a 63 and a 67 at the same time doing this. And I was like, all right, there's something to this. And, uh, kind of took what, I learned from him that night and applied it, got pretty good at it. Kind of had an idea how it worked and just tournament fishing and fishing recreational for the next few years where I was like, man, this, I got this figured out now. And now, you know, it's a, it's obviously it's a condition dependent technique. You can't do it when there's a ton of current, but perfect right now. Cause we don't have a lot of current. We've not had a lot of rain. We keep waiting on like a tropical storm to show up to get our currents back up. But until they do, you got to figure fish out. And what it is, is basically we've run, I run six boards when I do it. I've uh, three out both sides of the boat running a planer board. We just basically trolling along anywhere from 0.4 to 0.7 miles an hour on a heading, uh, targeting either big flats 
and at night where fish come up to feed on the shad or we're fishing a channel edge that's not necessarily got a lot of structure on it but it's just depth changes i love seeing a lot of contour changes on a on a main channel that's it's not so much a structure but there's just a lot of contour changes and dragon baits through them and uh, that's what happened the other night you know we, we picked up an 88 pound uh, blue that was hanging out in about 40 foot of water and just I think if any other technique, we never would have caught them. But the cool thing about it is once you're trolling along, you got your board spread out, you're covering sometimes 50 yards, sometimes 80 yards, depending on how far your spread is. Wow. And instead of looking and trying to catch an independent fish, I can mark fish all day long, but it's hard to catch that fish. But if I go through enough of them, I'm going to catch what's considered the active fish, what's actively feeding, what's hungry, uh, and you just keep moving. And you're not sitting in one spot. I may I may troll a three mile stretch and it takes me six hours or, or you know, around six hours to do it at point five miles an hour and pick up twenty, twenty five fish in that stretch. And there was probably four or five hundred down there, but I caught the ones that were hungry. Right. The and, active uh, ones. Yep. It the the active feeding fish and it, it's really neat. It's visual for my customers. They're always watching the rods and I'm teaching them like all right, this rod's kind of hung up. It's going to come loose. And they're like, well, what's the hit look like? I'm like, you can't miss it. The rod will take, will bow down real fast, and you'll see that cork or planer board, rather. You'll see it just shooting across the surface, or it'll go underwater. Um, best way to describe it is a controlled jug fishing almost. you got these big visual corks out there that are pulling away from the boat, and they're just slowly trolling along and all of a sudden when one takes off you'll see the rod bow down the line screaming off and gets everybody fired up you know if you've ever been cork fishing for bluegill and you see it shoot under think of the same thing and it might be a 20 pound blue cat or it might be an 88 pound blue cat you never know until you get tied on them well does each line have a planer board on it i do i run three planer boards on both sides and i only fish with six rods at a time okay everyone if you fish with four different captains or even just four different, every catfishman does it a little different. Some run two straight behind the boat, dragging with no boards and then run four boards out the side. I like to leave the middle of my boat open. Traditionally, if when you catch a big fish, as you're pulling tight on him, he works his way to the middle. And if I've got everything spread out somewhat, it leaves the middle open where I can fight him right to the center of the boat and he doesn't tangle up anything. And it's just technique, fine-tuning of the technique that I'm comfortable with now doing. Uh, I've seen people, how they put their rods and the rod holder on the back of the boat. They put them differently. I, me, I like to do one through six, and I've got each rod holder numbered, and I, it's easy for me to, I can, when a fish hits, I can say, hey, number two, and everybody knows yep. which rod that is, and, yep. and just work your way in, and never be scared of tangles. Uh, you know, I've done this a long time now. There's nothing I can't cut and untie and tie right back, and just get the fish in because that's that's the main goal is to land the fish and go to the next one that's right so i kind of get to get the concept of the and, and of the of the planer boards and the and the trolling mm-hmm. and you know when i first heard trolling my first thought is that's kind of like yours was when you first heard it well that's ridiculous for catfish whoever heard of that but then you yeah you know then i start thinking about it and i'm like well you know i grew up jug fishing uh, on the Tom Baby River and the Black Warrior River, and it's really the same. I mean, your your jug's moving with the current. I mean, you're moving. Yep. 
constant. Typically, it never stops when we're when we're setting up. I always drag upriver, even if there's even though right now we don't really have a lot of current. There's still just enough current, and it goes against everything that I was taught growing up. But I'm going against the current. I do anywhere from 0.4 miles an hour to I, I've went as fast as a mile an hour and. As hot as it is right now, them fish will chase that bait down and hit it. It's, it. It goes against everything I was taught. And, you know, I pick a line. I've got my board spread out because you want to kind of have some resistance on the boards. It's hard to just think if you had current going down the river and you tried to do it, everything would just kind of wouldn't have yeah, anything yeah, to yeah. pull against. Right. But if you're going against, ideally going against whatever little bit of current there is, it'll help your board spread the farthest. My, I'm super OCD when it comes to dragging. I like all my stuff to be equal. I like them all to be the same color, coordinated. It's funny. People make fun of me, but it, it just I have an idea of what it's supposed to look like each time, and I like to repeat it. And uh, I like my boards spread a certain distance from one another to keep them from tangling up. We uh, Typically, what I, way I set up is I'll put out two rods on one side, two on the other, and by the time I've set the, the second set up, I can go to the first one and start putting planer boards on. And I let them free spool and get on away from the boat. And then I go to the other side. Each one's got about the same amount of line out the back of the boat. They are on the bottom. They could be, and we can do this in five foot of water. We can do that. I've done it in 70, 80 foot dragging. And uh, it's just a matter of how much line you put behind the board. Once you clamp the board on, it's locked onto the line itself. And it will go as far as you want to let it go. And the further you go, the further it's going to spread away from the boat. And you just get set up, and it, like I said, it's it's one of the neatest things. Once you see it once, you're like, this is crazy looking. And then when you catch a couple of fish, you're like, all right, this makes sense now. Yeah. And uh, I've had I've had some old timers get on the boat and like, what are we doing? I'm like, this is what we're doing. This don't work. And then by the end of the day, they're where do you get these boards from? Where, <laughs> where do you, you get, where these, do you get boards? these boards? <laughs> they uh, it's it's pretty neat. Like I said, I know we've had some clients that were brand new to fishing, wanted to try something. and Next thing you know, they've, you know, done went and bought a boat, all the gear, sold all their other bass fishing, crappie fishing stuff, and they're out here in tournament season, out here competing against them now. And it, it's really neat. Uh, just, and it, once you catch that one 50, 60 pounder on a rod and reel, it's just super You're addictive. Hooked. And yeah. Are, are you using braid mainly or, or monofilament I, or? I typically use one of the, one of the companies I've, I fish for. Uh, somewhat sponsored by typically i just i love the the stuff they put out works for me i use a what's called slime line it's a kind of specifically situated around catfish and it glows real well with uv and blue light uh, i run 40 pound mono for my main line my leaders are 100 pounds and you'll hear cat fishermen across the country everyone will give you a different answer well that's different you know why would you want your leader to be more than your main line because we catch so many and we're blessed again here we catch so many trophy size 50 up to 100 pound fish those fish are rough on lines man they spin they got they got more teeth than people realize you you know right. one you know yes sir they they compare your hands up well they're rough on leaders the last thing i want to break is a leader yeah that's where i was going my next question i, I was thinking you would almost have to have a 30 even a 20 pound catfish i mean if you don't have a glove oh. on It'll tear the high oh, yeah. off your hand. Oh, yeah. I use fish grips on like 25 and under. I'll use fish grips. After that, I've got a, a HydraWeb Monster Net that I can, I've put 100-pound fish in before. And I'm not big on grabbing them by the mouth. I like to, I'd rather cradle them. Yeah. 
with a, with a set of fish grips because I'm a retired paramedic. And before I went fishing full time, I had to work with my hands around the sick and dying. And I was like, man, I can't afford to have my hands all chewed up and be out here doing this. So I, I use fish grips. I'll use gloves occasionally. Uh, grips have worked the best for me. Typically, I try to, to hold the whole fish, just like, you know, noodling it. The best way to hold on is hold them up against you. Yep. Give them all the support you can, especially when you get in these big trophy fish. And we teach our clients, especially new ones that's never held a big fish, like you got to hold them like this because if you're not, they, they can develop internal injuries that they may not die right now, but they could die later from. Right. And it, it's, we're, we're very conservation minded when it comes to it. I, I would have almost and, uh, thought you would have had to kind of have like a, like a, like a setup, like when you're deep sea fishing with these, you know, and have like almost like a, a steel leader or a metal. We, uh, some, leader. some do. I like, I use hundred pound slime line leader material. Mm. I crimp, I crimp, I use a lot of crimp and that's just from my hands hurt after a while arthritis over the years where it's hard to tie certain knots. And then, man, I can crimp one on real quick and have, I can have my 25, 30 sets of leaders set up. So if I break off, I have one's tied, ready to go. My buddy, uh, another captain, I've built leaders for him back before he finally figured out how to do it. And um, he's caught a 117 pounder on them. The crimps don't give up. The leaders don't break. And the last thing you want is is a heartbreak on a client's fish, you know, and because of mechanical failure, something that could have been prevented. So that's. That's what we found works best. And like I say, if you ask 20 fishermen, you're going to get 20 different sure. answers. But that's what, as as guides, that's, we're all about identical as far as techniques, equipment, what we think works and what doesn't work. And it, and we, like I said, we all work together real well. We're all good friends. We Some of us talk every day, if not every other day, especially during peak season. And uh, we have a good camaraderie. And then... When tournament time's on and we're fishing against one another, it's super competitive. It, it's really fun. Like so we we just get along real good and learn from one another and what makes us. That, and I think that helps make us successful in what we do. All right, guys, let's take a few moments and hear from some of this week's sponsors. North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama is home to eight picturesque lakes: Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely, Henry. Lake Gunnersville and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on Plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. Also brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the most recent, highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that the professional captains all over the Gulf of Mexico make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at Hilton'sOffshore.com. Well, let's talk about bait. Uh, we've kind of got, I've kind of got the picture uh, of the trolling. You know, you were talking, you can fish, you know, sometimes you're fishing five to 10 foot. Sometimes you're 50, you know, 50, 60 foot. Obviously you've got some pretty good size lead on there to, to get it down, but you know, how much weight are you using? And then what bait are you using? The the actual rig itself looks just like a Carolina, uh, what they call a Santee Cooper rig. It's basically a, 
I use sinker slides down to a, a swivel, and then the leader is anywhere from 24 to 36 inches long with a peg float and a line rattle. I use 10 aught to 12 aught size circle hooks. The bait, me preferably, because I don't like catching little fish, I like catching what they, they call skipjack. Uh, we catch, we're blessed to have opportunities to get bait here, and uh, we use the, the skipjack. Ideally, for me, I like taking a skipjack and cut it in half and using the head. If I was going to, if someone asked me what I thought was the best opportunity to catch a 50 plus pound fish, using skipjack on Tennessee River is king. There are times that other things are going to work, but uh, skipjack is probably number one for me. One, it's easy to get. Two, that I just have a lot of luck with them. And the bait, I like using one pound bait. Uh, you know, when I first throw out, especially taking people that's never seen it, like, is there fish in here that can eat bait that big? I mean, yep. And when <laughs> yep. we get it, you'll know it. You know, it, uh, I, you know, I've caught 15 pound fish on one pound baits and I've caught a hundred pound fish on one pound baits. It, when you're running big baits, big baits equal big fish. Yep. Uh, most of the time, if I wanted to catch eaters, you know, we'll downsize. I have some people that just want to catch eaters, but when someone's like, I want to catch a big fish. Okay. That's what we're going to do. If you're fishing with a one pound head, of a skip back jack that's a pretty big skip jack they're typically the baits are anywhere from depending on the skip jack or from six inches to ten inches long i use a three inch oval peg float that'll float it because i don't want the bait dragging the bottom there's always your best chance of getting hung up is if that hook is touching the bottom i like it to be floating off the bottom about two feet i just got my mind crushed right there so <laughs> you've got the sinker then you've got the leader yep Yep. And then you've got the hook and the bait. Where does the float go? The float, typically on my rigs, I, I run them anywhere from 8 to 10 inches from the hook, uh, between the swivel and the hook. It gets it up off the bottom, and it just keeps that bait from dragging directly on the bottom. The weight itself, and it's a different kind of weight than you've probably ever seen. I use what's called dragon weight. They're basically, think of a 14-inch straw with 4 ounces in the bottom, and then it's got a swivel on the top that I connect to the main line. And it just like if you were tight line fishing, it's the same thing except we have a weight that's more weedless. It doesn't get hung up very easily. It'll drag through a lot of stuff. You can drag it through rock. So sandy bottoms are awesome. You can you can you can go all day and never get hung up. Try not to fish a lot around trees. Trees typically you'll get hung up and yeah. and break off. It, it just sometimes it's it's not a hundred percent, but it's with the weedless weights and dragon weights, uh, you can go through a whole lot more. Like I said, once you see it, it makes more sense. But it, the the weight itself is, like I said, it's, think of a, about a 14-inch straw. And then one end, it's going to have 14 ounce, or four ounces of weight. On the top part of it, we some of them we've designed that have like foam in it where it'll make the weight stand up straight. Even if, if you threw it out in the middle of the river, it would stand up straight for the end of time because it's got that flotation on one side right and then you add in that there's a big peg float back here that also helps it stand up because it can float that bait and that weight just where it's barely touching the bottom and just you troll along and four ounces is what i found to be the perfect weight to keep everything on the bottom because if my baits aren't on the bottom they're not doing what i want them to do and it doesn't matter if it's in if it's in 10 foot of water or 40 foot of water i mean that that size it'll get down there Yep. yep, it'll stay right where I want it to as long as my, but it's one of them you learn with conditions, certain currents. We, I've had to stack two weights on there and in, in really deep water. You know, when I say really deep, 60 to 70 foot, I've had to put 
two and it'd be dragging eight ounces instead of four. It's not common, but you, you get a feel for the river, like certain conditions. When I first pull out and if, especially if I'm somewhere new, I'll put the boat in neutral and see how fast am I drifting with just the current. If it's at a certain speed, I feel comfortable. Okay, we can drag this. Oh, this is too much current. We're going to find either less or we're going to change technique. And uh, it, that's just something that's come with time, being able to be comfortable with the conditions given. And I've caught enough fish that once I start dragging and, and I, the conditions are right, having confidence in doing it, and we're going to catch fish. Yeah. that That's just something that's come with time. Like I said, trying to explain it, when I first saw it, you know, five, six years ago, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, this is no way it's going to work. And then, man, I, it is probably... In the low current situations like we have right now, it is my go-to. That's that's what we're going to be doing 99% of the time and just being very successful with it. So I'm sure it's different in June and May, in the end of, end of May, June, when these big fish are on the bed. I mean, there's probably, you're probably not, I, I, don't, I doubt, I mean, are you even fishing that time of year? Because these big giant fish, they get in these holes, they get in wherever they're bedding right. in a log and a bank, wherever it is. And they stay right there. So they're not out there actively feeding. So I would, if you throw that part of the year out the window, though, is there a certain depth? I mean, do these, I've always in my mind, JR, imagine these, these monster fish staying in the deepest spot of the lake. I mean, I always think they're going to be, you know, at that 50, 60 foot uh, plus depth. If my dad was alive, he he wouldn't believe me if I told him. But my biggest fish I've ever caught personally was 102 pounds, and I caught it in nine foot of water on Wilson Lake, which is one of the – it's not the deepest lake on the Tennessee, Tennessee River Reservoirs, but it's – Nickajack is number one. But Wilson Lake is a huge, deep lake, and I caught it nine foot. It went against everything that I would have ever thought about. But it was, it's a condition type thing. Uh, as the guys up here, we don't fish in June. When the fish start spawning, when we start having a couple of slow trips into May, we think fish are starting to spawn. We take a break from them because yep. we hit them pretty hard all year long, besides June and some of July. The fit, we, there's a lot of pressure on the fish. We try to let them spawn. We don't mess with them much. Let them breed, do what they're going to do, and then we get back after them mid-July. If I had, I had people call me all the time. When's the best time? Any month but June is a given. There, any given day you could catch a monster. If you're chasing big flatheads, I tell everybody the month of April and the first three weeks of May is your best opportunity to catch. You know, if you want, if you're trying to catch a 50 pound flathead, that's to me one of the best times of the year. Any other time, we're going mainly catching flathead or catching blue cats, uh, and flathead would just be kind of an extra bycatch you know uh, haven't been able to figure them out any other time of the year I can, I can i can target them in april and may but i haven't been successful catching them consistently any other time of the year do you find that the blues are just you think they're just more aggressive and the reason i say that and and i don't know if here's what i do know when you stick your hand up in a hole do you know the instant that fish hits whether it's a blue or whether it's a flathead once he bites your hand you know the instant it bites you whether it's a flathead or whether it's a blue, a blue will break your finger. I mean, they're super aggressive. They hit extremely hard where that flathead is more of a, I don't know, a slower type grab. It's more, I, I, it's, it's different. You just, and so I I, know, I've just wondered if, if a flathead is just not as aggressive as a blue and makes it maybe a little harder to catch. 
I know flatheads will eat bigger baits or bigger fish than a blue cat can. If you take a 50-pound blue cat and you take a 50-pound flathead and you put them side by side and yeah. you open their mouths, different. a flathead can almost eat a basketball. And yep. uh, we have trouble sometimes hooking those fish. Some things we've had to learn to do, even dragging, is we leave the, the rod in preschool, but we turn the clicker on so line's not coming off until one hits it. And it's funny because you would have never thought about it, but then you've seen flatheads hit tight lines where it's a real slow, slow bite, and you're like waiting on him five, ten minutes to get him to take the line down. It's almost the same sometimes with running planer boards. We can we can have to let that fish maybe run with it for 30 seconds before we ever get tied on him, even dragging baits. But we've, we have learned that we can target flatheads in the springtime with dragging. Uh, they're not a... You know, my daddy would be rolling in his grave if I told him I wasn't targeting trees and structure for flatheads in the spring. I'd be just, I'd be doing certain sections of the river. I'd be dragging. He'd he'd tell me there's no way it'd work. Where this year is one of my more successful years catching multiple 50-pound, up to 60-pound flatheads uh, with the planer boards. Uh, And that's just, like I said, the techniques over the years have changed and gotten We've been able to fine-tune some things, and we can actually, you know, I have people that just want to catch flatheads. They they have blues where they're from, but they don't have flatheads, and they want to catch a big flathead. And I tell them, you know, come in April, I can do it. Give me all day, we'll get a big 50, 60-pound flathead in the boat, or I'm going to get the opportunity if we can just stay hooked up to it. Flatheads, you know, I think they're, if pound for pound, I've always thought they were the stronger fish. Man, a 50-pound a flathead, I, think, I always tell everybody, if you took a 50-pound blue and a 50-pound flathead and you tied them tail to tail, I think that flathead would drag him around the lake. A uh, strong fish. Super, super, strong. super strong fish. And when I've had days where they are super aggressive and, man, they slam the rod just like big 50, 60-pound blue cats and it'd be a big flathead. But I've had days where they're just, you just kind of, man, is that thing getting hit or is it hung up? Because it's just easing back, easing back, and then all of a sudden it'll, it'll take a little bit of line and be like, no, that is a hit, and then have yeah. to wait. It makes no sense. It goes against everything I was ever taught growing up, and I'm still learning. Uh, I'll never claim to know it all, and every year I learn something different. Every trip I, I learn something a little different, or, you know, this time of year, you know, this is what they're doing, and this weather, this current. That's another thing we, us guys all working together, we, we compare notes. You know, sure. hey, did, I don't want to know what how many you caught, how many bites did you get, because I can work off of how many bites you got versus how many fish you caught. I, we call them all opportunities. You know, we didn't right. miss any good fish. You know, yeah, I mean, I had several big bites. Okay, well, I'm going to try the same thing, but I'm going to do something a little different. And, you know, we may be running stinger hooks. We may speeding up or slowing down. It, you, ne- you, you never can tell, and you just you try different things and learn from it. Learn certain areas of the river that, hey, this side, this 10-mile stretch here is producing pretty good right now. Like, my, if you want to, if you're struggling, find a big fish, go down there. I, I've been on both giving and receiving ends of that. Like, man, I'm, I'm struggling. All right, well, here, try this area. You know, it, it's crazy how the river constantly changes every every few weeks. We completely different conditions. And like I said, we're just fortunate enough working with one another. This is where yeah. we're at now. So. Do you rely heavily on electronics or do you, uh, like, like, like bass fishermen do for the most part now, especially offshore fishing? When I'm fishing, I never look... If I'm dragging baits, trolling for catfish, I'm never looking for fish as much as I'm just looking at the bottom water temp and current. Okay. Uh, we're going to try an area. It's just like if I 
when I'm current fishing, when we have a lot of rain, I'm I'm checking for structure. It's Tennessee River. If you fish structure, you're going to find fish. And, you know, all of us have our spots. Like, I've got around five, 6,000 waypoints on my graph that are on Tennessee River that I'll go hit a certain stretch. Man, this is producing. This is producing. They're in trees today. Or they ain't really in trees, but they're more in rock piles. And I'll go fish rock piles, you know. I've done it. And, and you know, you do it enough. You get out there enough, it's going to happen. I've marked certain fish and be like, man, that's a toad. And we, we catch them within three or four minutes of setting up on them. Majority of the time, I'm looking for structure. I try to see if I can see the fish down in there. But as long as i got my electronics working and let me find big treetops and, you know, holes, humps, rock piles, we're going to find fish. Especially, you know, you hit four or five places, you're going to figure out, oh, they're holding more to this today or this or they're really not in the current. They're more in these backwater flats and stuff. Is this, um, Some people try to find the fish with electronics. Me, not so much. It's right. the Tennessee River. We're blessed with what we have. I know the fish are here. Right. We're just going to keep trying until we find the ones that want to eat. We've talked about the Tennessee River the whole time with this, but you talk to a lot of people that do this and, and, and a lot of tournament fishermen. Is this something that works? I mean, does this work on the Coosa chain and, and Lake Martin and Lake Lake, Logan Martin? I mean, does it work everywhere? I would say if you had the right conditions, it would work anywhere. I've had guys that come down here that were from the Midwest and was like, I've never heard dragon, but I've had the same, a different group of guys from the same state. But yeah, man, all we do is drag and successful with it. I know guys that fish the, the Coosa River that, if given conditions, they're out there dragging and being very successful. It's just finding areas that it's, you got to have the right conditions and location to do it. I know that I've got friends that fish down in Florida, Lake Seminole, that drag bait and are very successful doing it. And I was like, man, this, I never would have thought that this would work as good as it does. And come to find out it works just about everywhere if the conditions allow. It's not a real big thing on the Mississippi, Missouri River because you're talking three and a half to six mile an hour current at all, all given right. times. All the time. But the reservoirs on Tennessee River, it is very successful. Like I said, it's one of our go-to as guides up here and even tournament fishing. I mean, we look at conditions and what to be success- what to do to be successful. And uh, there's a lot of times we are breaking out planter boards and checking areas. And when it comes to, you know, it catching trophy size fish, if you're 50 to 60 pound fish is my, my number one go-to. That's cool, the man. The 88 I caught the other day was, that was the biggest fish I'd ever caught dragging. I've caught a lot of 50 to 70 pounders dragging. I've, all my 90s last year come on anchor during high current conditions. I've had a, but that's been my luck with it. I've also had a buddy that he's caught two over 100 dragging, you know, on the Tennessee River. So I think it's just time, place, and opportunity. Right. You know, it can be very successful. Hey, well, those those hundred pound plus are they're kind of like your one seventy Boone and Crockett's. They ain't on every hump and uh, right. around every right. corner. So it takes a lot of fish to to find one of those. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I I can think of a handful of people that's caught them, and it's always my goal when I go out. You know, if I'm gonna catch a big fish, I'd love to break a hundred or let my clients break a hundred. Uh, it's obviously it's good. It's a feel good because it's like breaking 170 or 200 inch on a white right. in Illinois. It, That's right. Breaking 100 pound, you know, catfish is uh, to me it's equivalent to it. It gets me just as excited as if I was killing a 200 inch deer. That sounds so. It sounds like so much fun. Do you mainly do it in the daytime well, or at night? I'm pretty flexible. Winter time, spring, fall. 
typically do day trips. My boat is set up with lights. I can fish all night. Obviously got a plan with the boss though. Uh, having kids and being married, yeah, I have to coordinate with her when it comes to night trips. I will do them. Uh, we did one the other night just because it was hot during the day, and I was like, man, if yeah. we're gonna go, let's let's do let's the do it evening and in the dark. And uh, it was pretty comfortable. Uh, hopefully, in about the next six to eight weeks, when we get September here, hopefully we start having a little bit cooler weather and making day trips not so bad. That's right. Well, hey, man, it's it's been awesome, Jr. having you on, man. And this is so interesting to me, and and I know it will be to our listeners as well. Of course, you know we we try to do 15, 20 minute segments, but uh, I think, man, you just went on and knocked out a quick hour. So you may be the only segment. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, that, that flew by quick. It did, man. Um, but it's so interesting, and there's so much to talk about with it because it, it's new to so many of us, and and exciting. Oh, yeah. And to you know to to hear about this, but man, if somebody wants to book a trip with you, how do they need to contact you? They can contact me like anything this day. Technology is super helpful. I have a website. I also have a social media Facebook page. I try to update the website. It sometimes is a little above my pay grade, and I have to have somebody help me adjusting pictures or putting new pictures up and stuff. But Facebook is probably the best way. Uh, you can go on. It's Black Sheep Catfish and Guide Service LLC. I'll be the only one on there and you can contact me via messenger. You can do email. You can also uh, call me directly. My cell number's on there. I'm fixing to be gone for a week on a cruise. And when I get back, I I know August is going to be pretty busy. It's booking up pretty fast, but I do have availability and uh, be more than happy. Take people out and let them catch the next trophy of a lifetime. Man, that sounds awesome. And guys, y'all, y'all reach out to Jr. And, um, Hey, what, what's your phone number in case somebody can't find it on Facebook? My cell number, and it goes directly to me. If I do not answer, you can leave a voicemail, and I will get back to you as quick as I can. Sometimes texting also works. I, either way is fine with me. It's 256-679-7667. That's my direct cell. If you Some people want to see pictures and videos and stuff. You can go on YouTube and search Black Sheep Catfishing. There'll be a, there's a couple trips I did that are very cool to watch and informative. It, some of the trips are dragging is involved. There's a, I know there's a 70 pound caught on camera there. There's several sixties. I believe Rocky Drake outdoors would be the one to follow on YouTube. And he's got several of our trips together where I've taken him out. That's uh, awesome. and it, it helps explain it and put a picture of what we're saying. And, um, uh, by all means, check it out. It, uh, it's pretty neat stuff. I, I love doing the video just so I can show my kids sometime when they don't get to go with me. And they think that's the neatest thing just being on YouTube. So Heck yeah, man. Well, hey, guys, y'all reach out. Give JR a call or reach out to him on Facebook. Book a trip with him. And when you catch one of these monster fish, go to the Alabama Freshwater Fish Report Facebook page and post a picture of what you catch there. Uh, we would love to see it and hear back from y'all. And uh, Jr. man, thank you so much for for giving us this time today. And man, we we look forward to having you back on again soon, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Y'all have a blessed one. If you ever need anything, I'm I'm just a phone call away. Sounds good, man. All right, guys, let's take just a few minutes and hear from some of this week's sponsors. This segment was brought to you by Fish Bites. For more than 20 years, anglers everywhere have come to know one thing: that nothing says no to fish bites. 
We are the Fish Bites Nation, and this is your invitation. So grab some fish bites and get busy casting because you can't join the nation without doing the catching. Ask for Fish Bites or Fish Club Lures or visit fishbites.com. Also brought to you by LM Marine has something for everyone from small hunting boats, pontoon boats to bigger bay boats, offshore boats, and hybrids. LM Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, financial experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessory staff to support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff now locally owned six miles north of I-10 on 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or call 251-937-1380. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. What a great first segment, man. I've really been looking forward to having JR for, on for a while because I've seen these, these YouTube videos and these pictures he's putting out with these monster catfish, and I uh, couldn't wait to get him on, so glad, glad we finally got that hooked up, but... Man, let's get to our second segment today, and it's always one of my favorite segments to do with Norman with Southeastern Pond Management and uh, learning more about managing our lakes and ponds. Welcome to the show, Norman. What's going on, brother? Hey, Brian. I'm doing well, buddy. How about you? Staying, staying cool, I hope. Man, I'm, I'm in the AC right now. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been hot, that's for sure. Norman, man, you got to go back and uh, you got to listen to this segment we just did before you uh, when it, when you know tomorrow. But uh, man, we we had this guy from the Tennessee River on that we just finished with, Jr. Hall, and he's a uh, cat fisherman up on the Tennessee River. That I mean, me and you grew up catfishing. I know you did just like me with either jug fishing or bottom fishing. These guys are trolling for catfish now, trolling. Wow. How about that? And they're catching, they're catching 80 pounds, 90 pounds up to, you know, he's caught, he's caught several over a hundred pounds, just these monster catfish. And, uh, it's wild, man. Down deep, deep. You know, he, he said, it just depends on the conditions. That's what was really cool about it. Cause that's, that's exactly what I said. I said, man, you're going out there to these deep channels and catching, that's where these big ones are. And he said, man, believe it or not. Uh, the 103 pounder was in nine foot of water. He said, it just all depends on the, on the condition and, and the water current and things like that. And, uh, he said, you know, we're fishing from anywhere from five foot of water to 70 foot of water, just depending on the day and the conditions. So it was really cool, really cool segment, but, uh, Hey man, glad to have you on here. Hope, hope everything's going well with you. You know, we one one of the things that we get asked about a lot and, and that I kind of wanted to, we talked about it on here before, but I kind of wanted to dial in and hone in on it a little bit more is the electro fishing. We all know, uh, or a lot of us know what electro fishing is. And uh, a lot of us learned it from our, or may or may not have learned it from our uncle who used to telephone for these fish. And, uh, which is, which is not a very legal thing to do, but, uh, Hey, let's talk about electro fishing, man. When, when to use it, what different uses it has and how it works. Yeah. Uh, electro fishing is a really, really important diagnostic tool for us. It's, 
it's it's really what we use to uh, assess the, the the fish community, uh, particularly initially, and really just to keep a read on on how things are doing, the the, the, the relative growth of the fish, the condition. It, it allows us to go in and and target primarily adult fish, select those fish, net them, you know, capture them temporarily, uh, weigh them, measure them do all that good stuff and then, you know, release them back unharmed. There are times when we are doing our evaluations, doing our assessments, where we'll keep some of those fish that we collect if it's indicated based on the the condition of the population. If it's bass crowded, for example, we may say, hey, we remove bass anyway. We got a nice start at 40, 50, 60 pounds, whatever, go ahead and take them out. But uh, it's it's really a, a very useful technique. It tells us a whole lot about the health of the pond and the fish community, um, whether there's enough forage, whether there's enough an overabundance of predators, uh, kind of how they're growing. I said it primarily targets adult fish, but we also do get glimpses at, at reproduction of the different species. Um, obviously, we've been doing it a long time, so we kind of know what factors to key in on. But most often when folks call us, present their, their lake to us, particularly for the first time, our response is, hey, let's, let's go out and shock this thing. When you talk about shocking a lake, uh, we're talking about electrofishing. We put our boat in, motor around the lake, and collect a, a representative sample, and that becomes the, the framework of, of what we develop from a, a management standpoint, what management inputs we recommend and when and so forth. So it's uh, it's really kind of a cornerstone of what we do. And we do a whole heck of a lot of it. We do it really year-round, probably more so in the in the warmer weather months, but we actually electrofish uh, even in the fall and winter. So, see, I would have thought that it would have been something you do maybe in the spring and fall, but maybe not so much in the winter and in the and then the heat of the summer, uh, because I, I always think about the bass moving to deeper water. And so I would have thought it would have been something you would do when they, it was kind of like shallow water, like when the fish were getting up around the banks and the grass, things like that. But I guess in a lot of the ponds though, in the heat of the summer, you got your thermocline, so they're not deep anyway. That, that can, that's certainly the case. Uh, a lot of times, the other thing is that we use electrofishing for quite a bit is for harvest. And, um, so many of our lakes that we, that we deal with. Uh, have a are challenged by hitting their harvest quota, particularly bass harvest. Keep these things in balance, so to speak, to keep the the bass from sort of eating themselves out of house and home. So we 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 recommend a lot of harvest. It's not unusual to recommend harvest rates of 30, 40, even 50 pounds to the acre. We start looking at a 10 acre lake, much less a 20 or 100 acre lake, you realize that it's 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 a challenge. So, electrofishing is uh, two things about it. One, it's obviously pretty darn efficient in terms of harvesting 
fish, you know. And and you're right in that we do more of that in the springtime and in the fall because the fish do tend to be a little shallower. So those times of the year, we can really target numbers. When we're doing a population assessment, we're not nearly as concerned about overall numbers as just a representative sample. We've done it so many times, so many different lakes, so many different times of the year. We kind of know what we're looking for based on the time of the year. When we're targeting fish to remove, obviously the most cost efficient thing is to get as many pounds as we can per hour. Right. So we do tend to do more of that in the spring and in the fall when the water temps are cool. And in the summertime, we do quite a bit of it as well. We just do it in the wee hours of the morning or, or even at night. You know, we have uh, lights on the boat and those fish tend to move up into shallower water in the night at nighttime when it cools down just a little bit and the sun's not beating down. So we'll do quite a bit of it at, at night uh, in the summertime. How deep can you shock? It, it's kind of variable. It depends on, a lot of it depends on the conductivity of the water. And that's really a, a pretty key a key factor to electrofishing efficiency. The number one thing that we run into in, in, in our part of the world is is low conductivity, and, and that really directly correlates to low alkalinity. So these lakes that need to be limed, uh, that have really low alkalinity, they can be a bit challenging to electrofish with the equipment that we use. So in those cases, we have to, we, we, we turn our equipment up to a little bit higher voltage, uh, a little bit lower amperage, but it's not quite as efficient um, in terms of the field that it puts out and how effective it is in stunning the fish. As far as depth, uh, again, the conductivity of the water has a lot to do with it, but we can be pretty effective down to five, six, seven feet, maybe even deeper in some cases. The problem you run into is when you're when you hit these fish that are in really deep water, a lot of times they're they're buoyant. You know, they've got their swim bladders kind of where they can stay at that depth without having to work at it. So when they, if you knock them out down 10 or 12 feet deep, they don't necessarily float, at least not very quickly. Yeah. They just sort of stay down there neutrally buoyant so you can't really see them or get a net on them. We got some little tricks that we use when we know there's fish down deep, kind of use our outboard motor to put it in reverse real hard and create an upwell of water and we can sometimes push fish to the top doing that. But um, generally speaking, as you alluded to, it's it's a shallow water uh, technique, you know, down to three, four, five, six feet of water. It's really, really effective. We we drop our our uh, the the actual uh, electricity is transmitted through uh, a set of stainless steel cables that come off the front of the boat that drop down into the water, and we can actually lower those. They they may hang. They may be about three feet long, and we can. We can hang them down to where they're you know, several feet below the surface. We feel like they're fish really deep, and that helps us get our electrical field down a little deeper and get those fish up. So you basically just got big dip, dip nets and people on the boat, and when you shock the fish, it doesn't kill them, obviously, it, but it, it just stuns them. The fish come to the top, and you're able to scoop up the fish. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's actually pretty fun to watch, it, it, especially if you hadn't seen it much or, or ever before. It, they react to the electricity much like a, a 
person would, you know, it seizes up their muscles and kind of puts them into a, almost like a tetany and they, and they, and it stuns them for a little bit. I'm sure it doesn't feel great. Maybe it gives them a little headache, but, but we've got a, in our boats, we, we have really nice, large, uh, live well with big, massive pumps. So we're pumping a lot of fresh water in there and they actually recover in the super heat sometimes leaving cool water down with some ice uh, that we're putting the fish into to let them recover a little a little better and, and uh, usually in a matter of minutes a couple of minutes they're they're back up swimming uh, by the time we uh, collect our sample and measure them and weigh them and count them uh, we release them back into the water and they swim off just fine good deal do you uh so you know you kind of touched on one of the reasons and, and, and probably one of the big reasons to do this is, is to remove poundage per acre um, from a, a lot. Because like it, it, it's hard, especially in, in a little bit larger lakes, it is almost impossible to catch the right amount. I mean, you have to fish a lot to be able to remove the amount of pounds per acre that you guys recommend to that certain pond, or that certain body of water that they need to take out. So this is a, a tool to come in there and obviously be able to move the right amount of fish very quickly, efficiently, you know, the right size fish, whatever the case may be. But you, you hit on something a while ago that, you know, when we first started talking about looking at the the quality of the lake and where's this lake at right now with the health of the bass and the bait fish and the forage that's in there, you know. So when you're shocking a, a, a body of water, I know that the bigger fish, it seems like it works. Are you able to shock the bait fish as well so that you can yeah. and, and kind of what's that look like as far as what kind of ratio are you wanting to say to see to go, okay, this is healthy or we need to put more forage in? Yeah, it, the, the, the technique itself Electrofishing is, is probably a little more efficient on larger fish because just physics, I mean, they've got a larger surface area and there's that much more area for that electricity to, to hit them and affect them. So, but it's also, uh, and again, we have some tricks and, and kind of know how to set up our equipment. And, and so we, we frequently, you know, we'll, we'll, we see small stuff too. I mean, we see fry and, and forage and shad and, and you know we kind of know what we're looking for but it's a little more effective a little easier to stun uh adult fish that's for sure and and another point about electrofishing as a tool to to assist in your harvest that you made the point is really difficult and it certainly is you get up into 20 30 40 50 acre lake particularly it becomes a burden just to keep up with it but the other thing is um and when you're out there constantly with a hook and line, and there's there's not a lot of a lot of real science uh, on this, but certainly a lot of anecdotal uh, evidence that you know you don't want to low grade your fish population, and you know when you're out there with a hook and line, you're targeting or you're you're in your with, with harvest in mind, you're selecting all your aggressive fish that bite your your artificial bait, so. You know, are those necessarily the fish that you want to remove? Right. Uh, and the other thing you're doing, certain times of the year, you may be uh, harvesting mostly females. You know, those may be the fish that are feeding and biting. Well, again, is that really what we want to do? You know, those are the fish that have the greatest potential to, to be trophies. So, uh, so electrofishing is indiscriminate. 
know, it, it gets what's there. It doesn't discriminate between aggressive and non-aggressive or males and females. And so I think particularly in these larger lakes where you got to put a lot of harvest, a lot of hook and line pressure to hit your number, uh, it's a great way to protect against removing those fish that you really like to, to leave in the lake. You know, I've got a lake of my own, a uh, couple of lakes that I fish routinely, and, and, and just like everybody else, bass harvest is a, a key part of, of our management programs, and, and I've got kind of a, a personal rule. You know, if I catch a fish on a topwater plug, I release that fish, you know. I, even if it's a small fish that falls into that slot that I want to remove, you know, we're trying to take bass out, but I figure, heck, if that thing will bite a Zara's fish or bite a topwater lure, I want that fish to live. Because He's that's aggressive. aggressive fish. Yep. That's right. And so electrofishing kind of allows you to do to, to accomplish harvest without being selective about what you're taking out. And as you said, it also gives you the ability to to look at every single fish. And heck, the larger fish, when we're out doing our harvest effort, most of the time we don't even put a net on them. You know, we just leave them in the water. I mean, you can see a, a fish is not in that harvest uh, size range. We just leave, leave them in there, let them recover and swim off. Yeah, you, you shock up a six, eight, ten pound fish. No need to even put the net on him. Just let him recover and swim off. That's exactly right. We, we do it all the time. Yes, I would love to see this done. I've never seen that, and it sounds really cool to be really neat to see, but I kind of envision it as, you know, if you shock a new lake, you go into a lake for the first time, you shock it, and you get a bunch of one, and a, one pound, one and a half pound bass and not a whole lot of fry. Well, that tells you a couple things right there, right? First of all, we're probably overpopulated. We need to get a bunch of these fish out. Plus, we need to add forage. Where if you go into another lake, you shock it, and you get some good size variation, some decent size fish, and there's a whole lot of bluegill that float up as well or shad or something, then you're like, okay, we feel pretty good about this. I mean, so much good positive feedback that you can get from this. Yeah, so when we do our electrofishing, Brian, we're, we really key into a couple of different things. So we look at everything, but, but there's a couple of things that we pay closer and closer attention to. And one of those being the, the size and the condition of the adult largemouth bass. So we, we collect a sample of bass and we actually very carefully weigh and measure every single one of them. We measure them in millimeters and we weigh them in grams. And then we use those uh, numbers, their weights and weights, to calculate a, a condition, what we call the condition factor. Uh, we compare it to a chart of hundreds of thousands of, of fish that have been carefully weighed and measured over the years, and we can determine whether that fish is in average or above average or below average condition based on uh, based on our calculations. So that's one thing that we that we key into, and then the other thing that we carefully look at. Uh, is the abundance of forage, the relative abundance of forage. So, again, at different times of the year, things look you know, it's sort of a moving target. Uh, our expectations vary from time, depending on the time of the year, but you know, we, we want to see relative abundance of bluegill, for example, and particularly those intermediate-sized bluegill. Uh, a lot of these really vast crowded lakes are full of big bluegill, uh, but there's not a lot of three, four, five-inch forage, which is 
what we call intermediate size. And it, that's obviously a really important size range to feed those bass, particularly the 10, 12, 14, 16-inch bass that we're trying to get up to the next the next rung on the ladder. Right. That makes a sense for sure. And, and, you know, one thing I've always wondered is when you catch a fish or when you're electro fishing or, or whether you're catching or whichever way you catch it, and you catch a one and a half pound fish, how do you know if that is truly a very young fish or if that's an older fish that just has not had the food to grow? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it gets back to the condition factor. And so most of the time, uh, older fish that are kind of stunted, uh, that, you know, maybe four, five, six years old, they're that pound and a half size range. That fish is going to be a little bit longer and skinnier. Uh, you know, it may weigh, may weigh a pound and a half, but it's a little longer and skinnier than a younger fish that would weigh a pound and a half. So, and that'll be reflected in the, in the condition number that we calculate. So that condition I was referring to, 0.85, it's, it's a mathematical formula, but what it boils down to is anything 0.85 or, or above, we know is, is in average or, or, or above average condition. And that indicates to us that that fish is foraging optimally, growing at a reasonably good rate, and that would lead us to, to, to think that that's a, a, a younger, healthier fish uh, just not real big yet, you know, it's a pound and a half, but it's more than likely a younger fish. We get a fish that's that's a pound and a half, that's, that's a little bit longer, obviously a little skinnier. That condition factor that we calculate might be uh, 0.75, which is well below the 0.85 threshold. Mm. And that would indicate to us that fish is older, not foraging optimally, and would be a candidate to remove. So we get into doing that a whole lot. And then over time, you know, you got to realize we, we look at hundreds of thousands of bass a year doing this. So you, you develop a pretty good eye for it sure. fairly quickly. Uh, and, you, and you can almost tell just by looking at the fish. The other thing that we do with electrofishing, we do this for all of our customers that we, that we shock routinely. Many, many of our customers are set up to electrofish annually. And uh, some of them we've done for many, many, many years, you know, decades, you know, maybe uh, once a year, once every 18 months for 10, 15, 20 years. And so we've amassed a pretty cool, pretty neat sample size. And we will take some of those adults, particularly the larger adult bass, and we'll tag them. So we carefully weigh them, we carefully measure them, and then we insert these dart tags in their back that have a, a number on them. And so, uh, you know, obviously we record that weight, the tag number, and the lead. And if we capture that same fish again, either electrofishing or hook and line, uh, we can read the data off and measure and weigh it and get some indication of how old that fish is, how rapidly it's growing, as it, has it increased in length and in weight and so forth and so on. So it's, it's kind of cool to do it. People get a real kick out of it. In fact, we, we have a lot of customers who, who enjoy that so much that they have actually invested in a really good set of scales and we sell these tagging kit and teach them how to tag their own fish. If they catch a nice fish and they want to release it, 
you know, they can tag it themselves or record the information, send it to us, we'll punch it into the database and have it there forever. We actually have quite a few customers who over the years have caught fish that were trophy size, that were tagged when they were smaller, and when and maybe they mounted them, and we got quite a few of them that actually mount them with the tag in them. That's so, so you got cool. a mount that's actually got the tag in it, you know, a little bit of a story. Y'all been following that fish and the and the growth of that fish since they were since they were younger the first time you, you tagged them. That's cool. And what great feedback. That's right. I mean, you know, uh, if you catch that fish, you know, three years after you tag him, I mean, you guys know in a healthy lake, a fish should grow X amount of pounds per year or X amount of size per year. And so you can look at it and if it's below the average, you go, okay, well, well, there's some, there's some issues here. This fish isn't growing as fast as it should have been growing. It took it a lot. You know, this fish was three and a half pounds. It should have been five at this age. Cause we know what age it is now. We've, we've had him tagged for this many years. That's, oh, that's, that's great right. feedback. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, you always have to temper a little bit, you know, when you're dealing with, individual fish you know that's not always a, a a true indicator of of how things are going when you when you just one or two fish but it but it's just another one of those pieces to the puzzle you know and when you have all that information at your fingertips it all adds up and and, and tells the story you know we actually <clears throat> interesting story about tagging fish will occasionally stock a uh, feed trained adult bass uh, into lakes uh, for various reasons. In this case, there was a we had a customer who uh, had uh, some youth groups that would come out and fish uh, certain times of the year. And he always wanted to make sure that they uh, caught a lot of fish, and we would get these uh, pound to two pound pure northern feed trained bass. They've been on uh, pellets since they were fry and they're super aggressive i mean these jokers will eat the eat the bark off of off of a tree that falls in the water you know and tag them normally when we tag them we'll just use a tag that doesn't even have a number on it just because we want to just be able to tell this is one of these fish but for whatever reason this particular time we'd use some number tags and, and uh this gentleman was getting ready for one of his fishing rodeos and he was down on his pier and he started catching fish right around his pier, I think he was throwing a crankbait, and he got to looking at uh, the tags, and he kind of in his head uh, realized tag number, whatever it was, and I think he, over the course of a couple, three hours, or maybe it was the rest of that day off and on, I think he caught the same fish eight or nine times what? in one day, you know, and uh, that's how aggressive these, these bass can be. And sometimes it's sort of maddening because other days you go out there and you can't get them to bite no matter what you do. But uh, but some of these northern feed trained fish, they just grow up eating anything that hits the water. And like I said, I think he caught that, that same fish eight or nine times in a you know, several hour, hour period. That's, a, that's an <laughs> yeah. aggressive fish right there. I wish they was all yeah. like that. Yeah. We've had folks tag, you know, they'll have little fishing competitions or tournaments and you know, they may tag some fish with a red tag or a green tag or a gold tag or a blue tag and have prizes. You know, I, I think there's, they do that down in, um, I was watching a show uh, about uh, red fishing uh, where they, they're starting to tag and release these red fish and, you know, for these 
tournaments and sure. some of these fish, if you catch a tag, a gold tag, you know, it's a $10,000 fish or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. They're, they're doing it right now on, uh, I think through the end of this month, I believe at, uh, Lake Martin and, uh, oh, wow. and yeah. Ice Lake where, I mean, they released 300 fish. One fish is worth a million dollars. Another one's worth a triton. Oh, another one's worth a truck. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and the beautiful thing about these kind of tournaments is you don't have to have the fancy bass boat. You fish off your pier or walk on the bank and right. you may get lucky and catch a, 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 a fish that's worth a boat or a million bucks. A million dollar Anybody fish. Can do, yeah. Right? yeah, that's good Yeah, stuff. that's really cool. That, there's these tag kits we sell. There, there's a little bit of a learning curve. You obviously don't want to injure the fish, you know, but uh, it's not particularly difficult these things are pretty darn tough and and uh in this little contraption we use to insert the tags it makes it pretty simple and but there's so much cool stuff that they do with fish tags now they've got these these pit tags and this is not something for the average person but they've actually got these little tags that that go inside the fish that that can be read by a machine you know that like a scanner like a scanner and uh yeah, and these guys that are doing, you know, we're working with Red Hills Fishery down in, in South Georgia, and they're doing some really amazing research and, and development on trying to uh, enhance bass genetics and really enhance growth rates and top-end growth and all this stuff. And, and they're, they're having to keep up with thousands or even tens of thousands of individual fish and be able to tell this fish is you know, number such and such, and this fish is number such and such. And, you know, you can imagine the, how tedious that is, but now they've got these tags and you, they, these things go inside the fish and they can literally grab a fish, run a scanner, a wand over it. And wow. boom, it'll pull up all the information, you know, on the computer right there. It tells you how old the fish is, uh, you know, when the last time he was tagged, whatever genetic information you have entered in about that fish, really remarkable stuff. That, that's know? very cool. That's very cool. And I know that those, yeah. you've been working pretty closely with those guys and we're going off topic a little bit, I know, but you know, they're doing, like you said, they're doing some pretty serious genetic stuff with these bass, uh, to get maximum yeah. Yeah. speed of rate of growth and, and max, you know, and max growth size of fish. Are they actively selling these fish now? Are they still in the research development stage? Uh, and, and what kind of, are they, is it, is it working? Yeah, they're, with this kind of work, it takes several generations to, which equates to several years to really iron out the details and, and to begin to, to be able to generate verifiable results. But they are selling the fish. We're one of their dealers. The fish that we're that we that are available now are not a finished product in terms of the fingerlings that are available. They're in generation two or three, you know. So, but the belief is, and the evidence is beginning to demonstrate that there has been there is some improvement in some of these variables that they're taking a look at. You know, growth rates and. And, and so forth, even in these early, uh, in these early uh, generations. And uh, so give it a few more breeding cycles. And uh, I have no doubt, I mean, what they're doing, it, you said it's serious, serious science. I mean, it is 
legit stuff. It's not just, hey, let's take this big fat sow and put it with this big fat male and we're just going to produce some big fingerlings. You know, this is um, really cutting edge stuff. Um, I could talk about it forever. I talked with Josh, the the hatchery uh, biologist, their chief biologist down there just the other day. And just some of the cool stuff that they're looking at, you know, for years, just one little tidbit, you know, uh, when you produce a crop of fingerling bass, uh, you inevitably in the ponds or in the raceways where they're growing out, inevitably get some fish that, that, that outgrow the rest of them. And, you know, we, we call them jumpers or, or whatever, you know, different names for them. And, and, and so, you know, intuitively you think, well, those are the fish that we want, right. you know, those are the fish that we want to grab, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's select off those, those, those jumpers and those are really special fish, but nobody's ever really researched that. And I won't go into too much detail because some of their stuff is, is yeah. proprietary, right. But just enough to say that they're actually looking at that and it may be that those are the fish that we don't want. And, you know, there are some reasons for it. Maybe those fish are exhibiting really super fast growth rate to the small size, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a, a 12 pound bass at the end. of. Or that's right. You know, what we're, what they're trying to do ultimate, the ultimate goal is to produce a super aggressive fish that grows rapidly and has a large maximum size. And, you know, if you miss any of those three things and you're kind of missing the boat, if you can grow a fish to 12 pounds, but you can't catch it, that right. doesn't do a whole lot of good. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of what's happened with, with Florida bass over the years. Those yep. things grow fast. We think we know that, but can you catch them? Can you catch them on artificial lures? So they're looking at all that stuff. It's serious, serious science. It's a lot of money, a huge investment, and it's really, really cool stuff that they're doing. You know, one day you ought to get Josh on the. On I the was going to say we need to have Josh on the. We, me and you and Josh yeah. need to get on the show. Yeah, we. I would. Yeah, love, I, would I love learned to do something. A with him. I've been around fish and bass for thirty some odd years as a professional, and you know, in doing what I do and. I learn. I learn so much <clears throat> every time I talk to Josh. I mean, he is just—he sees it from a different side, and um, really a super knowledgeable guy. He came out of the uh, fish hatchery business, worked for the state of Florida for years, and on some of their breeding work and and hatchery work. And um, he's really a really a knowledgeable dude. But I have no doubt they're gonna have. Yeah, let's get him on. That's gonna be cool. To- they're, they're going to hit it. You know, it's just these things take time. This stuff's been done before. What they're doing is just not in bass. You know, it's it's been done in the salmon industry, which, you know, is supported by a huge food fish right. you know, industry. And and uh, so it, it, it works. It, you know, it um, just takes time and it's tedious. To, hey, to if, we, to can, if right. we can genetically get a chicken to be ready to harvest to eat in about four or five weeks. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we can isn't, we can do the same thing with bass. I know it. Surely, I have no doubt about it's it. It's just I, the money has been behind the chickens, and the research has been behind it. That's and right. Salmon. That's and, right. And, and now these guys that, are taking that same stuff and putting it behind bass. That's really cool. It's a lot of money. It, it's it's crazy how costly it is to do this research because you have to, like I said earlier, you have to look at 
thousands, tens of thousands of individual fish and actually track them and keep up with them for years. And just, you start thinking about the logistics oh, of wow. doing that. Uh, it really gets complex. Long-term quickly. tedious um, process. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Well, Hey man, appreciate you, Norman. And, uh, man, I think you, you definitely answered a lot of questions for people on here about reasons for electrofishing and, and the benefit of it and the necessity of it for your pond to get, to, to get feedback on, on, on what your conditions are. I mean, we, we talk a lot on here about water conditions and, and as far as the water conditions and, and test and fertilizing and aliming and things like that, but you also need to look at the fish and, uh, electrofishing is the way to do that. So, as always, man, we appreciate you being on here. If somebody wants to reach out, talk more to you about this or any other topics or, or get some information on their pond or, or get you guys to come out and look, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, uh, just you can hit me on my cell phone, either text message or call me directly at 205-288-1371. And of course, you can always go to go to the web at sepond.com, S-E-P-O-N-D.com. Awesome. Norman, appreciate you, brother. Always love having you on and I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon, man. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Same here. All right, guys, let's take a few minutes and hear from some more of this week's sponsors. United Bank. United Bank knows what an important role agriculture plays in our local economy. At United Bank, they are here to support local farmers with financial products and services designed specifically for agribusiness, including real loans for farmland, equipment loans, working line of credit, and more. Truth is, they deeply value the contribution agriculture plays to our community, and they help our local farmers build successful businesses. They want to see you succeed. Learn more at unitedbank.com or stop by any United Bank branch. United Bank, all loans subject to credit approval, equal housing opportunity lender, member FDIC. And by Baker's Metalworks and DC Supply. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply offer numerous items to help you get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles in your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building designs. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or get a free estimate today. Baker's Metalworks and DC Supply, your metal roofing headquarters. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, what a what a great show, man! Love love our catfish segment. My goodness, uh, very impressive deal, and and look forward to having Jr. on here more. Just really cool, and I've always loved having Norman on. What a what a great dude Norman is, man! Just a great guy. He's become a good friend uh, to the show. And uh, so y'all, y'all reach out. If you have a pond, uh, lake that you're not sure about wanting to improve, make better, check your fish, do some electro shocking, man, reach out to Norman. He will, he will give you what you're looking for and work with you to, to get the results that you want. Anyway, that's going to be a wrap for the show this week, guys. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen. If you'd like us to send you an email, you can listen to the show each and every week. We'll send it to you. All you have to do is text the word fishing to 
1767 and we'll email you the show each and every week stay safe out there guys enjoy these beautiful lakes and this water and the fish that we have in the state of alabama talk to y'all next week this week's alabama freshwater fishing report was brought to you by the alabama marine resources division reminds all recreational anglers possessing great trigger fish greater amberjack or red snapper that they must report these fish through snapper check before they are landed in alabama for more information about snapper check please visit outdoorsalabama.com also brought to you by killer dock check out the best fish cleaning stations known to mankind at killerdock.com and brought to you by outdooralabama.com that's where i learned the basics of how to hunt and fish learn more at outdooralabama.com go hunt go fish get outdoors and by bucks island bucks island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs as well as motor sales and services and now they have a pro level tackle store visit them online at bucksislands.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588 and brought to you by boaterslist.com do you own your own company that needs to reach boaters anglers and marine enthusiasts sign up for free today to grow your business on boaterslist.com and brought to you by mb ranch king hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the usa we also offer high quality easy to use corn and protein feeders they can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or get a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And brought to you by Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Photonist 16 millimeter filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and our hybrid filmless 18 millimeter image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16mm monocular, the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern outdoorsman. You can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.